Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jesse, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Holo Holo Podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Crowded River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Ishtabek people. It's our main episode, and on today's episode, we talk about Netflix's take on the industrial Christmas rom-com. But before we do that, Six, let's catch up. What have you been up to pop culture-wise? Well, I want to take a first thing. I'm wishing you a prelated, but a belated <laughs> birthday. Thank because you. Because we're taping this before your birthday on December 4th, but it, the episode will drop on the 9th. Right. So, podcasters, happy, wonderful birthday. It's Thank a special you. one for you. And I hope you have a wonderful time and where you're going. Yes, yes, yes. We're going oh. to Vegas. You know, by the time that this episode airs, I'll be in Vegas celebrating my birthday. I'll say this. I'm going from the 9th to the 13th of December and each day will be just a special dinner marking a decade of my birthday so uh, yes 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 so I, I can't wait to eat my way through Vegas as I celebrate this milestone birthday coming up that is a great line for a shirt <laughs> yeah. I hope you eat your way through Vegas I think it'll be fabulous I unfortunately didn't get to connect with you while you were in Ottawa but I have a little goodie and a card for you but so I'll send sweet. it via mail so hopefully you'll, you'll come home to him but happy birthday thank you, thank you, thank you. now Pop culture-wise. Yes, tell me. We have not talked about this, and you and I have been, like, texting and, and talking to each other. Kuya, have you been watching The Big Brunch on HBO Max? I haven't. I do have them all downloaded, or a couple Good. of them downloaded, but that's with okay. Ben Levy and yes. company as they assess some chefs in their brunch. Folks. Yeah. When you love Dan Levy, who produced, created this thing, and he has two other experts, Sola and David. Mm. They have 10 people competing for $300,000 to grow their businesses. Wow. They're all chefs from different backgrounds. And basically, it's all about brunch. So they do a starter, mm. and then they do a main, and they have various like things to do. Like One time, it was vegan. One time, it's like very like, like high-class eating one day and stuff like that. Ooh. And it's wonderful. The cast of characters are really, really great. A lot of people, there's some, it's very diverse. There's people with Asian descent. There's one from Canada named Jay, but they are in the United States. And she does a great take on like a poutine dumpling. Nice. Mm, You were even like, oh, Oh. and the best is Dan Levy explaining, like, it's supposed to be salty. Oh my gosh. Hilarious. As he tells everybody about the the poutine and stuff like that. This is really salty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the best is like Dan, Sola, and David, they have to, like, they have cocktails. Like I would like to have a cocktail. Like, I and, love the and, like, and there's a cocktail. Like they give a cocktail, and then when they deliberate, it's like they're their children. Like they had like one of the creators of the Cronut come in, and Ooh. the whole team of contestants. They didn't perform as well, and I, this isn't too much of a spoiler. And Sola's peeve. She's like, I am mad at them. We brought the like, creator of Cronuts, and this is their best? Oh, my gosh. Ridiculous. Wow. So you will love it. The branding's great. And this is just a shout-out to my lovely friend, Renee, who you know. Yes. She says Dan Levy gives the same looks I give in, like, exasperation. <laughs> 
And I think if you look, you'd be like, you'll probably text me like, oh yeah, that's your face. Oh my gosh, like, that's so it's, I love it's this concept. I'm surprised oh, that no one it. has come up with this concept before, but you and I, we're like champagne socialists and we yeah, love our so Sunday bougie. brunch, don't we? Yeah, we are so bougie. Yeah, we're so bougie. We're so bougie. But uh, I think that this is a great concept. How many episodes is it? It is a sharp eight. Ooh. It's wonderful. Yeah. There's, there's a good thing. You get to know the backgrounds of a lot of the contestants. There's like a Daniel and a Danielle. Daniel's learning about his own culture and he mm. didn't learn about it. So he connects it through food. Danielle's this wonderful baker. There's a guy who's vegan and he's just like jackfruit for textures of meat. And so it's oh, very, fascinating. very creative bunch of people. And it's Dan Levy at the heart of it. Yeah. He's yeah. a visionary and you'll love it. Because seriously, you throw good friend Tara there, you and me, we could have big brunch part two. Oh my God. To- like it could be totally. Us. totally. <laughs> well, and he's just a good tastemaker. Dan Levy is yeah. a tastemaker is the way that I kind of see him. He's just great, but please watch his face because it's exactly like mine. The other thing I'm interested in, I don't know if you heard about it. Have you heard about the show Fleischman's in Trouble? No, no. Tell me more about this. So Fleischman's in Trouble is streaming on Disney+. Plus. I think it's on FX or Hulu. Okay. And it's basically about Jesse Eisenberg plays a doctor divorced with kids mm-hmm. and he has two friends from university one is Libby played by Lizzie Kaplan and the other one is Adam Brody oh. and he plays a character named Seth very matter because <laughs> you're like oh the OC so apparently his ex-wife played by Claire Danes leaves him mm-hmm. And doesn't pick up the kids. They have this divorce thing, and she doesn't show up. And I'm like, oh, that's really odd. And he's just dealing with becoming single father. And and it, what's funny is the narration is by Lizzie Kaplan, his friend that's a female. Mm-hmm. And it's very odd. Now, I watched the first two episodes. I'm like, this is sort of weird. And I was like, I don't know much about this story. So I looked it up. And Fleischman's in Trouble was a top-notch New York Times bestseller. And... What I thought was intriguing is, if you know Jesse Eisenberg, you know, he was the lead in uh, The Social Network. Right. And he has that awkward, very nebbishly, the three of them are all Jewish, and they're Jewish background, and raising their kids and stuff. And what's great is, like, he starts hooking up with all these women, and very successful. I'm like, what's so great about him? Like, I can acknowledge that someone's very handsome, mm-hmm. or I mean, he's a doctor, and he's a do-gooder. But there's some sort of weird, I'm like, but it's being told by a woman it seems sort of skewed. And after I see the third episode, I'm piecing it together that this narrative is told by a woman's angle. And there's much more to it. I'm only in episode three. There's only eight episodes. Mm. And you still can't figure out why Claire Dane's character leaves, right. Rachel. Oh, and I'm just like, is it a twist? So I did a little research on the book, and I'm catching on the themes of the male versus female narrative. Oh, interesting. I would love for you to, and listeners, if you have any thoughts on this, like, and if you read the book, like, I don't know fully what happens, but I'm like, I think there's something to this and I'm correct. Mm. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. And it's streaming on Disney plus. I mean, as soon as I saw Lizzie Kaplan, Jesse Eisenberg and Adam Brody, I'm like, yeah, I had I'm to watch in. it. Yeah. Yeah. It. But it's very funny. Cause I was just like, I think you would have picked it up too. I'm like, why is a female narrating? Why isn't just Jesse Eisenberg character narrating? Right. This if it's coming from his point of view. Right. And that is one of the themes. Mm. So we'll talk a bit about more once you watch it. But just listeners out there, if you're watching this, let me know what you think. I think it's very interesting. Mm, now, interesting. what's in your pop culture bag this month? This, this month. These past few weeks? Uh, Tell me. What I've been watching and have gotten <gasps> to the conclusion on is Andor, a Star Wars story. Okay. Also on Disney+. Plus. Yes. Wow. Tell me. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. I saw the first two episodes. Okay. They actually dropped the first three episodes its first week out and then started to show the following episodes. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, the first two episodes were kind of a slow, slow, slow burn. 
And mm-hmm. it wasn't until like episode three that bang, like we're totally telling a different type of Star Wars story here. So oh. filled with intrigue and it's been show run and directed and written, I believe, by Tony Gilroy, who oh, did wow. the original Star Wars story, Rogue One, which had yes. much success. But he, he's also known more for Michael Clayton and the, the Bourne trilogy. And That's what I was going to ask. Bourne trilogy. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm just thoroughly impressed because this is not a story about Jedis. This is not a no. story about a war. This is really a spy caper filled with lots of intrigue. Okay, and I'm into it. Yeah, yeah, and then how the rebellion was formed and created, and then what daily life in the Galactic Empire looks mm-hmm. like. And it just looks like one fascist mess. <laughs> so, Who is the lead? Is it Diego Luna? Yeah, it's Diego Luna. And yeah, so he was originally from Rogue One, or at least we were introduced to him. And just as, quote, from the original Star Wars, the best line that came out of it was a band of rebels came to give us this this information on the Death Star. Yeah. And then, you know, people have always wondered, like, who are these band of rebels? And then we get introduced to them in Rogue One. And then now we're seeing the story of how Cassian Andor becomes by and a rebel for the rebellion. Ah, yeah, it's really fascinating. And that's I'm intriguing. Yeah, and they filmed this differently from let's say Obi-Wan Kenobi or The Mandalorian. So mm-hmm. Obi-Wan Kenobi and The Mandalorian, they filmed on sets in studio with their new technology. But for here, they've actually built sets and on location. So it's been fascinating just kind of seeing the consistency amongst all these different new franchises. I'm mm-hmm. thoroughly impressed. And it's like, oh my God, season two cannot come sooner. So that's kind of what I've been watching on the oh, wow. this, you okay. know, the Star Wars front. And then the other thing that I've been into pop culture wise is catching up on the Great British Bake Off season 13. <laughs> so, and I have to tell you, Sigs, Michael and I are a lot more prepared this year. So in okay. previous years of watching Great British Bake Off, we would watch it and we'd be like, oh, I wish I had a pastry to eat or a piece of pie to have. Oh my, or okay, some- so tell me what you do. Oh <laughs> so that's what we've been doing. What are you doing? Almost okay. every episode, it's like... Like, okay, we're going to have panna cotta or we're going to have a pie or we're going to have... nice. It's been nice. Or we're going to have some Craig's cookies. So it's been fantastic. So as we watch it and we're like, our eyes are just dying to eat whatever's on the screen. We actually have some treats with us while we're we're watching British Bake Off. So that's what we've been doing pop culture wise, which all of this cookie eating really it's in time for the season. And Mm -hmm. in some ways that's kind of what today's theme is, is really Christmas and the industrial Christmas rom-com. And Sigs, you know, way back three years ago in season (laughs) two, when we were planning season two, I said, you know, yes, pre-pandemic oh my gosh can you imagine that i was saying to you sigs we should really look at hallmark christmas movies and was it that long ago yeah it was in oh my goodness okay okay in episode 205 we talked about the spirit of hallmark christmas movies where again we discussed the hallmark channel which essentially created the industrial christmas rom-com complex which is what i've been calling it and it started (laughs) 
way back in 2009 with their countdown to Christmas. And I just remember just saying to you, like I was flipping through channels because yes, folks, I I still actually have TV in addition to streaming (laughs) services, but that's a different story. And as I was flipping through, you'll recall I said to you, oh my God, like the W channel has their version of Hallmark's countdown to Christmas. That's right. And I had said to you, like, we need to kind of analyze this. And so analyzed it and found out that the appeal really lies in this antidote. And Mm -hmm. it's an antidote in terms of our world becoming so cynical and being so complex. So in contrast, these Christmas movies that come out of Hallmark and what, again, I'm calling the industrial Christmas rom-com complex, (laughs) (laughs) leaves a message of hope and really is simple and has traditional (laughs) Americana themes. But as I kind of delve deeper into all of this, realize that they started off making like eight or nine Christmas movies. And now it's like almost 50 to 60 Christmas movies per year because they start as of November, Countdown to Christmas. And now they even have Christmas in July, which is kind of crazy. Oh my God, yes. Well, that's exactly it. And so when you actually look at the entire empire, they pump Mm -hmm. out these 40, 40 to 60 movies in any given year. And it costs apparently $2 million to make one movie and Mm. three weeks to film. But that means they have to film it all in around about May, June, July. Then there's post-production and editing before it gets shipped off to Hallmark and the Hallmark Channel before it gets put out there in their countdown to Christmas. But it's been fascinating in terms of just kind of talking about it with you and then really looking at its success. Because in as much as it's predictable... Lots of people watch it, like lots of people watch it, or I find myself watching it in the background if I'm doing Christmas baking or whatever the case may be. But I think it's the fact that it's so predictable, that's its appeal again, as I said earlier, Mm -hmm. and it follows this nine-act structure and Mm -hmm. apparently has really strict rules. And so EW had interviewed two writers for these industrial Christmas rom-com movies for Hallmark. And they had kind of revealed a number of those rules. So they talked about that all the stories have to be in some snow-filled area. Uh So there's no such thing as like a Christmas in Florida, for example. (laughs) So if you search the Hallmark Channel or the W Channel here in Canada, there's not going to be like a Holly Christmas in Miami or something like that. And every scene has a Christmas activity occurring or about to occur. So it's like, oh, we're going to the choir practice for the nativity concert or something like that. A toy collection or a We're going contest. to a toy drive or we're yes. going to the, the charity gift wrapping right. center or whatever the case yeah. may be. And it's so hilarious because I was watching a few just in preparation for today's taping and it was just <laughs> like, too. it felt like almost a drinking game. It was like, oh, look, another Christmas activity, drink a shot. Oh, look, yeah, another exactly. Christmas activity, drink a shot. So the writers were saying that every scene has to have a Christmas activity or you're about to do one or go to Mm -hmm. one. And that the two people that are going to fall in love have to at least start with disliking each other. But they were very clear that they can't hate anybody. And I just (laughs) found that really interesting. And that everything is mild, 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 mild in terms of these rules that Hallmark has in terms of accepting scripts. Because apparently Sig's they have to pitch them to Hallmark and then Hallmark has like an inner circle of writers who will pump out these scripts in two or three weeks. Yeah. 
it only takes like two weeks. And some of the writers have said Clearly. too that <laughs> it's actually a great exercise because you know where what you need to do and it gets it out really quickly. And some of the writers have said that even though they've written out separately and haven't seen other people's films, when they do see other people's writings of these Christmas rom-coms, they're like, hey, we said that line or we said that line. So there is, again, that kind of predictability and formula. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that they had talked about, too, is that Hallmark is very mild, so they can't be too sexy or too mean or too wild, and that they can't have nothing more than just a kiss. And whoever the foil is, so sometimes it's like an ex-boyfriend, an ex-girlfriend, the foil is not a bad person. They're just not the right person or the wrong person for for the other individual that's in that romance. So, And then the other two rules is, is that the heroine is typically an assertive person, but has some unfulfilled dream. So it's big Hollywood executive comes to a small town, but, you know, really feels unfulfilled because they've wanted to be baking Christmas shortbread for their lives or something like that. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the rules. And then the last rule, which is I think in recent years they've gotten a lot of flack for, is that they can't be too ethnic. So The cast is as white as the snow that is on the ground. It is, it is. (laughs) Well, and in this EW article, it was fascinating to read, they were talking Mm -hmm. about how they had named one of their characters Sid, and they said oh, that's not North American enough. And it's like, Sid, like, is that like not, How is that like a, not a, North enough oh name? Gosh. I know, it's kind of funny. But with Hallmark's success, drawn attention, and so Netflix has really gotten into the game in recent years. Now, right, exactly. they're not producing a kajillion amount of movies like, like them, but they have decidedly created their own kind of countdown to Christmas, but they've called it Here for the Holidays. I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix. I have, I have. And I think many of our listeners who've been, you you just go to the splash page. And there it is, right? There it is. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and so each year they've been releasing one Christmas movie that follows pretty much the same formula, but they put their own twist on it. And I think that they are slowly building up to putting out more and more each year. So this year, I think there's like at least three Christmas movies that are new and out. And then, of course, they've got their back catalog to rely on. But in terms of their twist on all of this, and they're here for the holidays they've decided to put more money and have higher production values. Instead of actually filming it in May, June, July, like they're actually filming it in cold months. So that would be the one thing that would bug me about the Hallmark Christmas movies is is that, you know, there's snow everywhere on the ground and they're all wearing parkas, but like there's no breath, you know, there's no cold breath that you see. They've actually paid attention to that. And then I think their other twist is actually getting bigger stars than what Hallmark has. So... Yes. You know, so so this year they've got Lindsay Lohan in Falling for Christmas. What's the character in uh, This Is Us? Justin Hartley leads the Noel Diary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so even in, in like Single All the Way, not only did you have Michael Urie, Luke McFarland, you had Coolidge, Jennifer Coolidge, Kathleen yeah. G, Barry Bostwick. You had right. like stacked casts with people. And even like with V-Hud, Vanessa Hudgens played that princess yeah. That was like twins or whatever, but like they paid a right. bit more money and there was like, they got her as like, you see bigger stars. They were putting the money in that. And it seems like more production values, like with music and cold weather. Like I think Lindsay Lohan's movie was filmed in Utah. Yeah, it, it was totally Utah. was. Yeah. And you could see their breath and it was just mm-hmm. like, 
Oh, it actually, so it just felt a little bit more real instead of this kind of aspirational world that Hallmark Mm -hmm. has created for their Christmas rom-coms. And as you were mentioning, single all the way, much more diverse casting. So it's not just kind of like your heteronormative, you know, white folk that are falling all in love. And that they're more likely to break the hallmark rules that I've just kind of mentioned that EW was reporting on in terms of these writers and more sexual innuendo. So there's much more talk about sex or sex happens, but then it happens off stage, kind of like a Greek tragedy in some ways. The example that you had cited in your notes is Holiday, and that was with Emma Emma Roberts. And right. it was a little raunchy, like there's a little, like, a little bit of nudity and illusion yes. and stuff like that, but like at least talked about it. It was real. Like she didn't want to yeah. be single during the holidays and she got into some things where she's like, do I have clothes on? What am I doing? But not to major raunch, but like a little bit more realistic, right? Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. so a little bit more realistic in their take. (sighs) And again, more sexual innuendos, more likely to break these hallmark rules. Yeah. And snow is not always required. So because of that, now you get, if you look up on Netflix, you can find Christmas in California. And like Operation Christmas Dumbo Drop. There was an yeah, elephant that's being right. dropped. And the other Which, one with like Rob Lowe and uh, Kristen Davis, where they yes. were like on a safari. Yeah. In the yeah, holidays. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 They've totally have taken the Hallmark channels formula and really, you know, made it work to their benefit and have been able to separate themselves apart. So it's been fascinating that then they don't necessarily need Christmas activities in every scene. (laughs) So I think that that kind of frees them up a little bit. But this is an interesting fact that I learned about the Netflix Christmas movie cinematic universe, which is that almost each movie is somehow related to its predecessor the year before. So not just a sequel, but they're all related somehow in some way, shape or form. I remember someone out on the internet had actually plotted it out that this person is related to that person in this this movie and that person's related to this person. So they all apparently link up. It's just not so in your face. It's been interesting that way. I think so too. And I think even like when Lindsay's movie came out on for Christmas, mm. people were talking about her turning on Netflix and yeah. the movies that were listed. Like, so yeah. these exist in this universe. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and even with the meadow of Lilo, God bless singing Jingle Ball Rock on the radio mm. and for them to pull it in. I'm like, there we go. We got some meta and stuff like that too. But there is a burgeoning industry and I think it was in New Jersey that they have a Christmas con. Yeah, they totally and they have the do. Stars. And uh, hey, maybe Netflix will have one where it's here's our Netflix stars. Here's a passel of people we have that's yeah. part of our Netflix universe, right? Of course, so. I would totally be lining up for like a picture with Lindsay Hallohan, which by the way, I really enjoyed falling for Christmas. Michael I'll be honest I loved with you. It. Yes, I welcome her back with open arms. Oh, don't you really? I oh was my just gosh, like, she you was know what, so Lindsay, great. Where you been? Like, hey, come on back. You're knowing or whatever. Let's get you back in the scene. Like, oh, yeah. yes. You know, I love the fact that they have been meta, right? Especially in this Falling for Christmas and just all the different allusions to Lindsay's past movies and stuff like that. And Netflix has not been afraid of playing around with the formula. So usually it's right. it's the female that is the lead. But in as you were talking about earlier, the Noel Diary, you know, it starts with the male character, right? That's looking for love or that needs love in a lot of ways. But I think one way to kind of think about all of that, what we've just talked about, is that Netflix twist and strategy to win over, if you will, Hallmark fans 
to its particular platform, has been packaging the industrial Christmas rom-com in what I would probably say is a slightly flashier and polished way. So, mm-hmm. you know, no pun intended, or maybe the pun is indeed intended, the metaphor is, is it's really about putting a bow and ribbon on the gift. So if Hallmark had the gift, Netflix just puts a bow and a ribbon on it just to make it much more classy or much more finished or polished or whatever the case may be. But I have to say, it must be more expensive to make one Netflix movie as opposed to all these 40 movies that Hallmark makes. So I just kind of wonder what is going to happen. And so that's why I think that their strategy must be to create a stable of Christmas rom-coms that people can kind of take out year after year Mm -hmm. and kind of have an evergreen stable of movies that people just tune into and have even Christmas playlists in some ways, as opposed to Hallmark, which feels like poinsettias. They kind of bloom and then they stop turning red at that point. And then we kind of forget about them until we want to kind of pull them out again. So I don't know if you've got anything to... No, I I think that Netflix has really improved. If you look at their other Christmas movies that came out like 2018, like Mm. there's one called Minute at Magnolia, which was filmed in Ottawa. Right, right, right. And it, did, it felt a little bit Hallmark, but like with the mark change, and I think this happened with V-HUD and then these changes that you really, it's very evident from yeah. Single All the Way and Falling for Christmas and Old Diary that, and even there's one with like Freddie Prince Jr. and like a yes, Latino, pop, right. Latino pop star that just came out too, Christmas with yeah. You. And they're just, it's more cinematic. They put more production in it. Like there's an investment in it. And yeah. they yeah. are giving a twist and of improvement and putting that yeah. bow on yeah. that package. And again, in the hopes that they're much more evergreen, yeah. you know, and much more longer lasting so that then it'll be like, oh, let's watch Holiday or let's watch Falling for Christmas yeah. or let's watch The Christmas Prince again <laughs> or whatever the case may be. <laughs> I think it's an interesting twist. I think it's an interesting twist. It'll be interesting to see maybe in a couple of years time where they're at with their own, again, take on industrial Christmas rom-com complex. So from that twist by Netflix to our own Filipino twist. That's today's culture capital topic. When you and I were talking about this, Sigs, I think when I was thinking about Filipino twist, originally I was thinking about overacting, like being so OA, you know, about things, (laughs) like being so over the top, you know? But the more that I think about it, I think that we do, like as Filipinos, we do have a twist on life or a twist on perspective, you know? And Mm. I think our version or our take on pop culture and life is, is that it's about being louder and longer and funnier. And so in and around the holidays, traditionally, we would get together at our friend's Tara's place and it would be the two of us cackling, being so loud <laughs> and extra loud. And people would just look and it's like, oh, it's the Filipino guys just being really loud and being, <laughs> you know, really jovial and jolly and stuff like that. And it is true. It is true. That but is- I would say, and you and I both have partners that are very, let's just say, more quieter. They're both quieter. They're both quiet powers in our lives and quiet people. And we love them for that. Yes, we do. (laughs) But I know Michael has said on many occasions, it's like, you and your family's loud. And then when I think about it, it's like, it's not just my family. It's like my extended family and it's every other Filipino family that I meet (laughs) that we're loud. We laugh and we are all about looking for the funny things to talk about. 
It is so true. And it's funny. I told you that my daughter, Delaney, has a little friend named Gwen who's Filipino. And she candidly told us this, like, a little, like, joke. She went to California in the summer. And Mm. she said, oh, Delaney. And and she calls me Delaney's dad. Right. (laughs) You know what I saw? And I'm like, what? She goes, I saw a sticker I want to get in my room. And it says, I go, what does it say? She goes, I'm not loud. I'm just Filipino. Oh, I and love I was it. like, I get it. And then I Delaney's like, Delaney pauses and looks at Gwen. She goes, yeah, they are loud. And Gwen's, they are. But I think it's because when they're family together, they're excited to be together. Yes, it's very true. And I it's so that. true. Like, we recently had a family reunion during Thanksgiving. Mm. And I think... It's funny because I love how you said family parties and people getting into it. During this, we'd had some games and it was basically my wife, Emily, and like all my pa- my father's side and um, my aunts mm. and uncles and my cousins and stuff were there. And we played games yeah. and everyone yeah. was into it. Like no one was shy in the corner. We played and like, Kuya, just for you and listeners too, we did it like a Price is Right game, like guess the amount, but I took items from winners and marshals. Oh, it is a great game, it. Kuya. It is a great game because we all shop. Yes, at winners and marshals, because because we love a good deal, and I will back right. up all the Filipinos that are listening. We oh, love, love a good it, deal. Love we love the search. So my mom and I and my aunt Irene, we bought like ten items, and we had people guess, and oh I chose God. like three people. They were and Delaney was so excited. She goes, "You guys do that? I'm like, it's a game. It's not like just yeah. like you guys playing Nintendo Switch. Like people got <laughs> into it, and we, they had other like little quiz games and stuff, and it was so much fun. And it was funny to see my kids going, "Oh, we're all getting together." And, like, I had a magic mic to use it to talk. So I could mm. talk above everybody. And <laughs> and it was so funny because my daughter was so, like, big-eyed. Like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, like, that's what they do during the holidays. And it's fun. And it is loud. And my wife does say that. We're loud. But I'm like, okay, right. So when we had Christmas with your family, don't tell me that when you made everyone pose together, like, as a family picture, you suddenly said, do a wacky one. I go, where'd you get that from? <laughs> right? Right, Kuya? <laughs> Right, Kuya? Where'd you get yes, that Yes, yes, yes. Where'd you get the wacky? Yeah. And Toronto crew of friends or whatever. Jazzy, remember you had people come over and you had like a pig roast and then we did games and stuff? Yes, yes, and then, yes. And then everyone really got into it. Or like Jazzy had like, we're going to have a karaoke birthday. Everyone's like, uh, I don't know. Oh, Victor, let's talk Victor about James, that I'm talking more, to you. I don't right? know. It's sort of loud. It's, it's really too much. Meanwhile, all of them were grabbing the mics. And they were singing. They were totally, everyone was totally in it for that birthday. Oh my gosh. And I remember Sigs. Everyone was like, we don't want to do a karaoke birthday. And and let me, listeners, let me tell you, this was before Korean karaoke took off, right? This is like before, like right at 2000, right? Right. And what I did was I rented a bar, reserved it. I had even people that wanted to crash because they wanted to do some karaoke stuff. And I said, as long as you sing a Madonna song, you can stay, you know, for the hors d'oeuvres and a few drinks and stuff like that. I had official party crashers, but you were so right. Everyone was just kind of like... Oh no, we don't want to. We don't want to do that. Why? Do you, and I was like, it's my birthday. I don't care if you don't. If you don't want to come and have fun with me, that's your problem, right? But you were right. Like six, everyone dove right into it. Exhibit B and C. Exhibit B. One of our friends had a bachelor party, Dave. And yes. what does Jesse bring? He's in there with 
like three PlayStations, an Xbox One. Right? <laughs> Who wants to play? He had people set up with games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and like, and Tara's like, I'm not going to worry because if Jez is part of this, like, let's get this in there. Let's have everyone <laughs> have fun. And, and Jez, I go, was this a lot? He's like, no, this is the Christmas holidays with the Filipinos, my family. Yes. Yeah, we it's set true. up games one. Everyone has like a tournament. They play. Or Kuya yeah. for my bachelor, my bachelor party. We went to we went to karaoke and stuff like that. What mm-hmm. does Jez have? He has like a Lady Gaga wig. Did you want to totally sing? Did. You know, want to sing Bad Romance? Here's a wig. Here's some Here's props, a wig. guys. Here's It'll props. get you into it because we got right? we got into it, and that is your twist. That is like they got it into. It. Then everyone's like, oh, we gotta go do this. Like they adapt to it and stuff. Well, right? yeah, and I think adapting and kind of going wholeheartedly into it, I think, is what the Filipino twist is all about. And I think it yeah. became really real for me watching mm-hmm. Drag Race Philippines because. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because if you watch a regular Drag Race episode, it's usually 45 minutes. Okay. Drag Race Philippines, each episode was an hour and a half, right? Because well, there was we... just so much to say. And there were more kikis, okay. of, like the drag queens, <laughs> all the queens just yeah. kind of like gossiping and saying things. And they were all about also wanting to have fun and be punny, as as we oh. would say. <laughs> Unintended. Funny, funny. Yeah. And there was all these kind of like takes on fun jokes and stuff like that. But yeah, I would say, Sigs, that the Filipino take on life is really about being enthusiastic. And I think that Mm -hmm. this is why the world has this impression of us as really being very happy people. But I think it's more than just being happy. It's like Uh actually diving right into it wholeheartedly without thinking too much about it. And that's the Filipino twist, that it's not about being extra, which is what I thought originally we were going to be talking about. But it's actually about having zest. And when you have zest, kind of like what you talked about in those exhibits, you know, that zest can really be contagious. And what I know about zest and this psychological concept of zest is, is that it's shown that it's highly correlated with life satisfaction. So we might not have a lot or some of our Filipino compatriots might not have a lot, but if they certainly employ this Filipino twist and have a zest for life and a zest for living... They're going to be happy. Now, of course, people will be more happier if they're not having to think too much about their finances. But certainly (laughs) having zest does add to one's life satisfaction. So that's what I have to say. Zest is approaching life like an adventure. And it's filled with excitement. And I think, Sigs, you and I come from a culture and from an experience where let's just jump into it. And if we're going to make it into a game show, let's do it right. And if I'm going to sing karaoke, you know, and I'm going to sing Bad Romance, well, I want my wig with me. I want my Lady That's Gaga right. wig with That's me right. and stuff like that. And if we're going to do a video game tournament, let's not just bring one machine. Let's bring them Several all. systems and the best games Yes, that was like yes. a multi-universe Marvel and DCU against each mm. other. Like, props like, to you. Like, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> thanks, 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 thanks. Don't you agree, Six? That <sighs> that's kind of what the Filipino twist is about. It is just having a zest for life. It, it is. And I had a coworker who she had family that went to the Philippines, and she's just like, "You're just all festive. These people are just festive." And people <laughs> made fun of me, and I'm like, "It's such a weird comment." And I was thinking, "Oh, a too." And this is a twist. Like, we're giving a twist to it. It isn't about that we aren't extra like we have a zest for life i love that metaphor and analogy and it's not like there's a lot of like crap going on in the world there's a lot of like negativity and stuff 
we're just having fun. And whether we're playing prices right with winners things and people being mad because they couldn't guess the Laura Secret chocolate and didn't win <laughs> a Givenchy <laughs> perfume that my aunt brought as a gift, Ooh. like to win, you know. But we were in it. We were all together. People were participating. My little eight year old was giggling to see the Aww. adults and my cousins do that. Or Kuya, where what are we doing? Are we doing a game? But we're having Lechun and we're playing like a fun little like password game. And we still play yeah. it. Or oh, we're going to really do a luau. We're totally going to do a luau. luau. And gonna I'm going to have What's a pink roast for, you know, my birthday or for pride or whatever we were yeah. doing. Yeah. And I just, I like that. You know, at Kuya, when you and I are serving Coke Zeros, you got mm. your lime. You got your twist of lime. Or yep, a little bit of zest right. of a lemon to add to it. And I, I definitely, you should just punch it home. Like, what's your fixing of the week for this, this holiday yeah, season? Yeah, the fixing of the week for the holiday season really is to immerse yourself in the joy of the season. And by letting yourself get caught up in the zest of the Christmas spirit. You know, and like what Siggy was saying, you know, there's been, it's been a difficult couple of years for a lot of people, right? right? But if you get to experience the holiday season, you know, dive right into it. You know, because I think if you just let yourself be enthusiastic, treat it as an adventure, you know, understanding that it's filled with excitement, you know, and enjoy every aspect as possible. You know, I can't help but think that you'll have a better holiday season and feel better and feel happier and that the world will be better and just maybe perhaps maybe a bit of a kinder and happier, satisfied place. I don't don't need to add to that. I don't need to add to that, but Mm. I will tell you this. Have a happy holiday, everyone. And definitely have an email. Send us an email during the holidays. Email us at holoholopopculture at gmail.com. The Holo Holo podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Rate us, leave a review. We're on social media, Twitter at holoholopop, and on Instagram at holoholopopculture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chel Turingen, and we'll see all of you guys again real soon. Happy birthday, Kuya. Thank you. Enjoy, and, and happy holidays. Happy holidays to, to you and to everyone else. Absolutely. Absolutely.